Welcome to DesignCast. Jason Reagan will guide you through the MYP design course like a pro. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another edition of DesignCast. I'm so pleased you've joined me again. We're seeing so much growth in this podcast that I am just absolutely just astounded. It's so uh, heartwarming and humbling. So thank you everyone who's been listening. On this episode of DesignCast, it was my honor to speak to Mr. Craig Freilig. I've known Craig for a while and we've been collaborating for the last six or eight months on some live streams and podcast episodes. And so it was great to sit down with him back in late uh, May and talk about his work with VR. And during that time, I found out that he has written and published a book about the subject. And so you'll hear about that in the podcast. And I have a link to pre-order his book in the show notes. And so I'm really excited to share this episode with you. If you would like to keep in touch with Craig or get in touch with him or hear more about his book, all of those links will be listed in the show notes. So swing on by and have a look at those. On a different note, if you've been enjoying listening to DesignCast, I would really be humbled and appreciative if you could review the podcast wherever you listen to it, uh, whether it be through giving a rating or writing in a comment. That would be fantastic. And if you haven't already, would you please subscribe and share with your professional network? Also, please check out my other podcast guest appearances where I talk about loads of topics with other content creators from around the world. You can see a list of my appearances at my website, www.jasonreagan.ga. I'd love to hear from you and how you and your school are preparing to go back to school this year. I know that everyone's in different places in that journey, whether it be face-to-face or completely online or somewhere in between. Please share your experiences with me. Head over to Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Anchor to connect with me about this topic. I hope to put some thoughts together into a future episode from you guys' input. Again, thank you for the overwhelming podcast response that you've given me. I'm very humbled and I will keep doing this as long as everyone wants to hear it. So thank you for that. And then in a final note, as I mentioned last week and I'll mention again this week, I will be a panelist on a discussion that's um, a an IB webinar coming up this week on August 26th about the World Economic Forum and how it's using their their website that's called Strategic Intelligence and how you can use this resource to boost your um, units or activities, especially focused on the IBCP and the IBDP. Don't miss this opportunity to register for the podcast. The link for the registration is listed in the show notes. And I'll be blasting it out on all of my PLNs in the coming days. So thank you for that. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this great chat between myself and Craig. (laughs) 
Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of DesignCast. And I am so excited to have Craig back here with me again. He was here on an earlier episode talking about droning and all these different things. And so I'm really happy to have you back, Craig. Thanks so much for agreeing to be back. So can you just kind of give a brief introduction of who you are and, and tell everybody what you're currently doing? Uh, I've been a design teacher for over 10 years and a teacher for almost, wow, 27 years. I guess my lack of hair sort of substantiates that. Most recently, though, my focus has been looking at new immersive technologies and how teachers and then more importantly, design teachers might use those immersive sort of lean in engaging technologies to help enhance our programs. So in particular, you'll hear a lot from me today about how virtual reality might engage students and, and really help kids think deeper and wrap their heads around conceptual understanding. Thank you so much. And tell us a little bit, you mentioned, wow, that's like a long span of being an educator. So can you tell us a little bit kind of how you got to where you are and what you are doing, where you are now and where you came from and that kind of stuff. Yeah, we all, I think, have our aha origin story when it comes to becoming a teacher. You know, some of us, it's because our parents were teachers. Maybe for others, we were inspired by a particular person growing up. For me, it was a little bit of both. I did have one uh, particular teacher that I will always say kind of pushed me towards the profession and his name was Mr. Zanoli. And the reason he was a social studies teacher and the reason he inspired me so much was just how good he was at creating relationships. Kids. And I always felt like that was key or paramount and I still to this day keep in touch with him. And secondly, I have to sort of give a shout out to my dad because uh, although he grew up with just grade seven education because he came from a farming background in Canada, he was such a thinker and a tinkerer and he loved to take things apart and was self-taught on so many different things. You know, back then, people working on the farm, they had to be a jack of all trades and, and know how to do things on their own, which I think is what we're trying to do nowadays in the 21st century curriculum that we're trying to embed into kids is that we want them to learn how to learn. That's what got me into education. I started out as a science teacher for many years, mostly in chemistry, and then made a paramount shift towards design and design technology because I always loved toys and I loved things that were shiny. And I was the type of person that used to say, let's think about what the efficacy or best case scenario is for this new technology after spending some time in the sandbox, playing with it to realize its potential, which we do that with kids in design. We want them in criteria A, to investigate and see, you know, what are some of the different possibilities first before sort of diving into how it might play out as a solution. That's awesome. It's great to hear kind of where your, um, you know, inspiration comes from. And of course, yeah, we all have those teachers that we're inspired by and we hope one day we're those teachers to other people, to kids. And so tell me where you currently are teaching and what it is you're doing there, Craig? I am currently in Singapore. And I've been at the Stanford American International School for a couple years. And actually, at the end of this year, my plan was to move into full-time consulting for virtual reality. But due to COVID-19 and a retraction in all sorts of different funding protocols and uh, obviously a, a pullback in what we might call a recession, that was pulled out from under me. So I had to sort of regroup and I ended up finding a job with the Canadian school here on island in Singapore. So I'll be moving over to the Canadian International School, still teaching uh, 
high school design, uh, the DP program, as well as the MYP program. Excited again to engage in a 28th year of teaching and always trying to learn new things. I think one thing that we, again, aspire to instill in our kids is to not be scared of change, be adaptable and flexible in our thinking. And that definitely has characterized my career. Well, that's, I didn't know that. That's congratulations on the, the move, I guess, because <laughs> yeah. I know you were thinking of going somewhere else, but yeah, I've got quite a few colleagues that I know, former colleagues and friends over at Canadian. So that'll be great. I'll have to make sure to keep in touch with you about that. But do you, have you been over to that new school and kind of seen what the situation is with their design program? I have been over there and it's it's quite well laid out. Again, you know, the thanks to the makerspace movement, many schools as they start to do rebuilds are designing environments with purpose, with lots of breakout spaces. And then considering what the scope and sequence is for your program so that the tools that you have within your environment or space can enhance that. I know sometimes as schools who are already set up with a design program have to retrofit it, they often aren't sure where they want to go with things like, hmm, do we dabble a little bit in product design? You know, are we going to have any textiles? And it becomes a bit of a mishmash or a mixed bag. Whereas, you know, if you have a long-term vision for your program where the space and the environment isn't an afterthought, you can really purposefully design a program where kids build on their expertise. So instead of just having, you know, one unit in grade seven that involves some sort of product design and then never seeing sort of that kind of product design again until grade nine or 10, you know, that's something we want to steer away from in design. We really want to, like a good physical education program, we want to make sure that kids see, you know, a sport several times within uh, a scope and sequence. Same thing in design. And so, you know, if you have a laser cutter and a, a whole sort of host or team of 3D printers, you want to try and use those tools to enhance product design in 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, right? I love it described like that. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's pretty easy to be tempted to give a much broader paintbrush and then not have them run over the same strokes at the same, you know, as often as they should. And I think that's great that you should be able to try and give students exposure, but also some depth in the things they're doing. So in this new position, I assume you'll be able to get into some AR and VR stuff. Is that something that they have a vision for? Yes, they do. Yeah, that, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I think right now with people getting a little bit greater sort of push towards technology, thanks to remote learning that, you know, it's the right time for a bit of change. You know, there were people that had never used Zoom or video conferencing before that were forced or thrown into the deep end. And sometimes that's necessary to see the efficacy of the tool. And I believe, you know, I, I'm just publishing a book that's coming out in August. It's called Immersive Learning, Harnessing Virtual Reality Superpowers in Education. And in my book, I talk about this, that, you know, sometimes until we actually put the tool through a test drive, we don't know its true power. Unless you've tried one of the higher end VR headsets, you really aren't yet convinced to its efficacy. You know, myself, when I, once I put a headset on, one that was truly immersive, something like an Oculus Quest or an HTC Vive, something like that, a little bit higher end, you really see how the sense of presence where the, the virtual world is almost identical to the real world where you see the power of what it can do. And so, yes, my new school is absolutely on board and excited to use this tool, not just in design, but in other subjects as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been over to that school several times, actually, and done workshops and different things there. And the space that they have is really impressive. That will be a real addition and to help kind of round out their buffet of design options. You know, it should be really impressive. So tell me a little bit more about this book. I didn't even know about this. Craig, you're full of surprises today, man. So tell me a little bit more about this book. I actually wrote it, feverishly wrote it, thanks to my wife, my wife kind of kept pushing me, you know, you got to write this because I kept always talking about this and that and the other thing. And I was doing a little bit of work for a company out of the United States called Springboard VR. I was writing lesson plans for them. And so my wife really said, you know, you're partway there. And so thanks to her, I sat down every Saturday and Sunday and developed a stronger research and philosophical base behind it. And then the appendix part contains over 70 lesson plans, which are inquiry based. So thanks to my work with the IB, very conceptual based with overarching inquiry statements and what key and related concepts, uh, and they connect to VR applications. So if you were to buy a VR application on Steam or access it somewhere else, there are many, I call them edu games, that are totally pertinent for the classroom, whether it's, you know, a program like Tilt Brush or Make VR Pro for design or art. And what I've done is basically created this before, during, and after thought process, a series of questions, maybe a few videos that really wrap it into conceptual teaching and learning, but also allow VR to be the powerful tool that bridges that gap. Because teaching concepts is much messier and, you know, in my humble opinion, quite a bit harder than having kids memorize facts. I think having, being a chemistry teacher for years, lots of things in chemistry and math can be black and white and getting someone to memorize something is pretty black and white, but that's not where, you know, the true retention and the deep sort of understanding, that's not where that happens through getting kids to wrap their head around, you know, systems thinkings and bigger concepts, like how do I change my identity or what, what if this causes a change in my identity? What next? That's where kids nowadays should be spending more of their time. And it's difficult to teach that and a lot messier. And there are many VR applications that make that magical, certainly more doable. And in my book, I talk a lot about that. There's this great little myth about this drunken guy who's underneath these light posts, these lamps, and a policeman walks up to this drunk guy and he's on all fours looking for his keys. And the policeman says, can I help you? The drunk guy's, yeah, I'm looking for my keys. I'm looking for my keys. And the policeman says, well, where's the last time you saw your keys? And the drunk guy points to the dark over in the grass where there is no light. And the policeman says, well, why aren't you looking over there? Because there's no light there, he said. It's a great metaphor for how there are certain tools. And in my humble opinion, VR is one of them that can be the light in that situation, that can really shed light on getting kids to really understand conceptual understanding. That's really interesting. I've never heard it described that way. So tell me, especially now that we're in a situation where blended or hybrid learning is probably the wave of the future. It's probably something that we are going to have to live with for one one reason or another. In Singapore, you have the fires that are over in Indonesia and Malaysia that bring over all the smoke and the haze a couple of times a year and close school down for that. Or you have a typhoon or you have an earthquake or whatever. And now we're in a situation where we, even though school's closed, we could continue on with school. Where before you had a snow day, you had a snow day, but now you could actually 
now we can see that you can continue on with the learning. Tell me a little bit about how VR could work with that. How, what kinds of things can you do just not even in design, but just in general, tell me a little bit, some quick and easy things you can do with VR. I'm mainly talking about too, for teachers who've never used it before. What are some things they could do that would be really easy and quick for them to learn how to do? Great question. And, and super good comment about one thing that comes out of COVID-19 that we don't want to sort of go back to our old ways is what you said. And that is that, albeit it's a bit taxing day in and day out, four hours a day to do remote learning, there is some opportunity there, whether it be even just a four-day face-to-face work week and then one day that's remote learning. So, so here's one example of how VR might fit perfectly or beautifully into a situation where remote learning is a possibility. Puzzle games, escape rooms, These are all beautiful learning activities. And in fact, you know, before COVID-19, I knew a lot of my students as well as myself and my family. We used to go to escape rooms. They were very popular. Escape rooms are popular and people see them as worthy intellectual engagements because it causes you to think like a systems thinker. You have to engage in a puzzle where some things are red herrings and they have little to do with you solving the problem. Whereas others, you start to see that there's got to be some sort of connection to that key and maybe that lock, etc. And so in VR, there are a plethora of VR puzzle games, escape rooms that allow students as well as the general population to start to wrap their head around the efficacy of problem solving, systems thinking. We've heard stories like this, and I'm sure there are more companies besides Google, but you know, more and more companies, you know, your interview is some team-based problem-solving engagement. And I agree with some of these more progressive institutions that see that as worthy intellectual endeavors, as opposed to what kind of score did you get on uh, standardized achievement tests of some sort. That's a great example. Thank you. I, that's a, a neat way to look at that. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. And so for the more advanced students, maybe your older students and things, how can they get involved in creating VR experiences? What kinds of things can they do? So there's even a sliding scale on this. The go-to programs usually to create a VR experience are Unity and something called Unreal Engine. But the learning curve for these is still quite steep. You know, you alluded to this, you'd probably have to have some minor background on coding of some sort as well as a strong understanding of spatial as well as 3D modeling experience. So that would be for a more advanced user or even someone who picks up on these things quite quickly, that would be sort of one avenue for those types of students to go down. But like everything, I know you grew up as a design teacher understanding that there are lower bars. So when we first started teaching robots, thankfully MIT came out with a really simple program called Scratch Programming. These were drag and drop icons that kids as well as teachers who were just getting into programming could use to make it more accessible and easy. And Same thing in VR, there are sort of off the shelf 
easier to use programs. One that I use extensively is something called Modbox. And what we're, our, our kids in psychology, actually, DP psychology, wanted to use VR as a training ground for primary research. In the IB, you're not supposed to be doing primary research with human subjects. So this gave them kind of an avenue to design experiences in the virtual world that would allow subjects to test cognitive theories. You know, the most simple one would be, you know, can we cure your fear of heights in VR? Modbox would be a great starting place, but obviously Unity and Unreal Engine become sort of the gold standard for more advanced users and VR. I wasn't even sure where we were going to go with this. That's great, Craig, because it's given me a lot of information. I'm writing, I'm feverishly writing down things that you've been talking through them. So that's really, really cool. So as you move and transition into a new position, what's your vision? What do you, what do you, what would you like to see happen at your new school? And, and, and as far as the design program goes, because I know that that particular school has a really robust uh, robotics program and they're sketching and, and the 3D printing and all that. That's, that's pretty on point. They do a lot of music engineering and things like that. So what, what would your vision be, especially with VR and, and how would you go with that? I think one area of improvement that many of us schools around the world can dive into, in my humble opinion, again, it's just me and my opinion, even in the high school is spending more class time on approaches to learning skills. You know, in the younger grades, they work on skills like organization and note taking, but I'm talking about things like giving and receiving meaningful feedback, working on mindfulness, understanding how two-way communication might work. And VR, and more importantly, gamification within VR can be a really fun, powerful tool. And it doesn't matter whether you're grade 12 or grade 7. Most students love games, provided you wrap them in purpose. So engage them in what is it that I want you to inquire about before you embark on this game. Once they're done the VR game, what is it that you know was supposed to happen here? So there are many examples of off-the-shelf edu games that would enhance approaches to learning skills and offer fun, engaging ways for kids to become, as I said, better communicators. Here's one that we play a lot at the school at Stanford that I would love to introduce to uh, the Canadian school as well as you know, offer up as an opportunity for schools around the world. And it's called uh, Akron. So Akron is an asymmetrical VR game. So what happens is with an, a VR headset, one person becomes this giant tree. Just like any tree, you have all these acorns that you're in charge of. This is where the term asymmetrical comes in. Everybody else can play on their phone as a squirrel. And on their phone, they, they're challenged with trying to take the acorns from the giant tree who is literally in VR as a giant tree. Like your arms look like tree limbs and you're protecting your acorns while the little squirrels are basically on their phone trying to steal the acorn. But the beauty of this, it, you know, upon when I tried to explain this to my mom, she's like, that doesn't sound like education, Craig. And once I told her how it was used, all of a sudden she started to realize that would be fun for education. I don't know if you remember, but as a kid growing up, I used to play kick the can. Are you familiar with the game kick the can? As an adult, kick the can, uh, when I got older, became this really neat activity that I learned a lot from because I started to realize if I teamed up with other people playing kick the can, the game and the strategy behind it 
became much more intense instead of all these individual kids. Well, same with this game, Akron. When I put the VR headset on a student who becomes the tree, all the other squirrels when they first play, and you can have up to like 10 different squirrels, they all usually go it alone. And they're vanguards just trying to blaze their own trail. And the tree almost always wins. But as intuitively, kids start to realize, okay, wait a minute, everyone, you know, we're playing round two. Let's think about this more. Like, Maybe because there's different kinds of squirrels. You could be like a squirrel that digs underground, or you could be a squirrel that's really speedy, and you could be a squirrel that has a shield. So they start to divvy up roles. And it's this powerful, almost serendipitous experience where you start to see that the kids are inquiring about the fact that I need to work as some sort of systematic team that becomes so fun for them. And I didn't spout out any team theory to them they started to figure it out on their own, which is what true inquiry is about. And I think the heart and soul behind a really strong approaches to learning program. That's a fantastic illustration, Craig. Thank you. I remember Kick the Can growing up and trying to explain to folks now who've never played it, how it works. I didn't realize it was so hard to explain, but, uh, <laughs> but that's a great, yeah, that's a great analogy. So, so tell me, Craig, what's one thing you're super excited about in education right now? I know you're excited about VR and a lot of other things, but what's something that you're just really, really excited about? The monumentous shift away from memorizing towards allowing students more time to think about and ruminate on bigger ideas and to master things that way. Uh, I just read a book called Peak and in it it talked about giving kids the opportunity through greater practice and reflection on that practice to get really good at things. Whereas I think old curricula, when you look at it, has a ton of content that is mostly knowledge-based and we whip through it. There's very little, or if there is opportunity, it's frantic at revision, diving deeper, pursuing passions. So I'm seeing through my work, like you with the IB, as well as talking to so many other educators through webinars and participating in online workshops that schools, thanks to teachers demanding this, are starting to do away with Teach for the Test and giving kids more opportunity to, I call it sandbox, which means take the time to really learn something deeply through guided practice, formative feedback, instead of having the teacher be the sage on the stage and the test being the end product. It's exciting to see that because it's scary for some schools because whether it be some organized body saying you must write this test, how wonderful this year to see that, you know, COVID-19 pushed the hand on the IB to say, listen, we're not even going to give end of year DP exams. You know, the relief I saw from kids and teachers in my school, but also just talking to other teachers speaks sort of volumes about the stress involved in getting kids to sit exams, which are one shot opportunities to perform at a particular time and place. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that I know that in design, it's, it's one of the great things about design for many years. I mean, before it was design, it was industrial arts or it was tech ed or it was whatever. And testing in the sense that we are talking about standardized testing, it didn't exist. Um, obviously, you had to 
know how to run machines. You had to do safety checks and things like that. But those were very practical things, right? But I think it's great that the other subjects have started to get along with that, that idea of this doesn't necessarily measure what we know. Some kids are great at tests and others are not. And so I agree with you. I think it's exciting that COVID has actually shown us that and it allows us to see what's important. And let's hope that we don't forget this experience anytime soon, because I think that it's been one heck of an experience for all of us. So Craig, let me ask you one more thing. What is one ed tech tool that you cannot live without? That is a great question. I would have to say, you know, I'd like to say VR, but I'll put that sort of on pause because it is so new and immersive. I would say CAD in particular, Fusion 360 as a design teacher has been both personally, because I do like to tinker and make things, but also professionally. I think there's so many spots within the design cycle that Fusion 360 can afford kids uh, some time to think about. For example, how wonderful for Autodesk to offer that up for free so that kids can do simulation testing on their products so that they can get genuine data and feedback on stress tests or some other kind of test, but then also just allowing them to see it from so many different perspectives once they design it. I guess my go-to right now would be Fusion 360. Great. I like Fusion 362. I like too all the different custom pieces that they have. So we've got students who do VEX at my school and being able to pull out VEX pieces and things that are already pre or, you know, preloaded into Fusion 360. It's a great way for them to get used to that. They may not have actually been exposed to that kind of thing before. So yeah, that's a really good one. So I got a couple of others for you here. Who do we need to follow on Twitter right now? Who's, who's your favorite person to follow? I really have learned a lot from George Kourous. He's uh, got a few good books out as it sort of pertains to creativity. Uh, so he would be a good one. Terry Linton's doing a lot of good work lately. You know, shout out to Terry. You know, I, I like his approach. That is to say, you know, he's, his approach that he's taking is more like a kind of a life coaching, which I see has huge efficacy, you know, getting people to push through growth. Yeah, those are my probably my two big ones. Yeah, I always throw that on people just to see what you what you might come up with. And I agree, those, those are two good ones right there. So Craig, it comes time for you to promote yourself. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? I'm really active on Twitter. So C Frelick Teach is my Twitter handle. Also, I'm on LinkedIn. You know, if you just sort of search my name up on LinkedIn, I like to post kind of like you, Jason, I run a podcast called VR and Education, and you can find that on the various podcast services. I host it through Podbean, but if you, again, just do a search of VR and education. You'll see that podcast. I have a variety of different people on there like you, and you, you might find that valuable. That's awesome. And I assume this book is going to be available from wherever, or is there a particular publisher or what's uh what's the deal with your book? Yeah. Thanks for, uh, again, being a humble Canadian. I, sometimes have a hard time trying to promote that. I've got to do a bit better job if I'm ever going to make any money off the book. So the book comes out in August. It'll be available on Amazon. Again, it's a whirlwind tour for a plethora of subjects and how you might philosophically, why you might want to use VR in a variety of subjects. And then the appendix of the book, as I said before, has many practical lesson plans. If teachers are lucky enough to get their hands on a higher end immersive headset, how they might use it and what applications they might use. So 
Look for that in August. It's called Immersive Learning, Harnessing Virtual Realities, Superpowers in Education. Thanks so much, Craig. And I'll be sure to include all that in the show notes and so people can get in touch with you or find out how to get your book because I'm sure that's going to be one that's going to have to be in all the design libraries across <laughs> the world. So you're definitely going to want to do that. So Craig, thanks so much for being here. I do appreciate it. Last time I had you on, you were with a whole group of drone heads like myself. And so we were. it was a long episode, but this time it's great to get to hear from you specifically and directly. So thanks so much for being here. I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I've, uh, you and I have known each other for a couple years now, formally and then informally for longer than that. And you've always been great for me. Your great sense of humor, as well as your ability to take a situation and make it fun and engaging has been something uh, that's gravitated me towards you, Jason. So thanks for having me on your podcast. You're, you're too kind. Thank you so much, Craig. So I appreciate it, man. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back soon after the book launches and we can hear all about how, how it's going with that. Awesome. I'd love that. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you, and I look forward to seeing you again really soon.